What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another NBA team look ahead. We are on to the team that was my title pick for two consecutive years running, the Phoenix Suns. Mm. That means I had to bring on the Timeline Podcast, Mike Vigil. Please follow him on Twitter at The Protected Pick. He's a great follow. Uh, if you don't follow him already, that's weird uh, because he has like a million followers at this point. So head over and follow him. And then also listen to, subscribe to, follow the the Timeline Podcast. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. They are in my regular rotation. Um, they he, he and Sam Cooper do a great job. You can follow that podcast at The Timeline Pod, spelled exactly as it sounds. I have many questions for Mike. None, though, are more important than this one. How the heck are you doing, man? You know, Dan, at this point, I don't know that it would feel like a season is actually starting without this podcast that we're doing right now, which is like, it's like part of my off-season rotation now. I go through the, you know, you do free agency, the draft, all of that, and then Hardwood knocks, and then the season starts. Like, that's like my, (laughs) that's like part of what we do now. So I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I really appreciate it. And as you mentioned that, this is the third year. I think this might be the first time we're doing it solo without yeah. Sam, who cares more about visiting Victor Wembanyama than coming on this podcast. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, so I love that you keep coming back. It, it means a lot. And the other thing I'll mention really quickly, too, I do feel like the honeymoon phase, because you and Sam have been ultra nice to this to me in this podcast. And then I think relative to national media, I've probably been higher slash out in front of the Suns um, even before they were really good. And this year, they're not going to be my title pick. Spoiler oh, alert. Fair. Yeah, and fair. Now I, I can already sort of sense like the followers that some of them that follow me because you've maybe said something nice or came on this podcast, <laughs> they might be ready to turn on me. Just even when I mentioned something about, oh, it's cool. Like Devin Booker, people just want to play with him. First CP3, now KD. And I had some Suns mentions like, well, Devin Booker was always voted as an all-star among players. And I was like, well, so was Jamal Crawford actually wanting to be traded to where he is a little bit. <laughs> bit different so i'm worried that that's going to happen but like i said the timeline podcast um one of the best podcasts in the game bar none so thank you so much for for coming back and it turns out we might have a thing or two to talk about yeah i mean it's been an odd off season for the suns uh it felt like we were on hold for a few months and then like everything happened right at the end uh but you know what it is basically the same exact team uh coming back that's other than a few minor things but yeah and while I was going through the outline, it took me, it's going to take four questions to get to pretty much actual basketball stuff. Right, um, right. But I, we have to start with the Sarver situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gone, hopefully, which is yep. great. Yep. Um, do you think that makes it less of a distraction heading into the regular season or, or is there still the specter of it looming over this team? You know, it's a good question because like, I, I like to think it would make it less of a distraction, but surprisingly last year they had, you know, the best regular season the Suns have ever had 64 wins and everyone played really well. And the Suns even did that all while having like regular injuries to some of the better players on the team. It's not like they had one of those like outsized healthy years like they had the previous season. It, it was kind of a normal season when it comes to injuries. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, they did a good job of like fighting through whatever distractions could have existed last year. This year, I think it might be a little different in that I like if they want to make moves, James Jones, like trying to figure out how to navigate their sort of not really being an owner right now. It's a lame duck owner. And, you know, there is somebody that was picked by Robert Sarver for the record. <laughs> To so, be the interim so, so owner, stupid, Sam Garvin. By the way, that yeah, I know how to do that. It's very bizarre. It's like, what's the point? Like, there's just, and in my opinion, 
I have to say that before I say this every time, but there's just no way Sam Garvin and Robert Sarver aren't talking <laughs> about right, the decisions right. that aren't be, that are being made at the very least. But like when it comes to Sarver, does he add more money knowing that a new owner might own the team by the end of the season? And that's when the tax is, is calculated. Does he try to not add any more money? Does he care if the team's any good now? You know, like those are the kinds of things that I wonder how that's going to affect the team. The ideal scenario is that they would be sold in within a few months. The most recent thing was somebody, a high up executive with the Suns, spoke to the employees and said the team could be sold within six to nine months, which is essentially now in the playoffs, uh, basically. So, as far as when it happens, ideally sooner rather than later. But I do think there's a higher chance that there's going to be some level of distraction this year than last year only because there probably will be news coming out this year. Last year, for whatever reason, the investigation took very long. Now we know why. There were hundreds of people with complaints. (laughs) But uh, we never knew when things were going to happen last year, so it was just kind of a whole season of nothing. And now there probably will be something. And unless, though, he's going to start, like, cutting costs, like, and it won't be be him, excuse me, it'll be, like, his... Yeah, you know, Sam even, Garvin is yeah, his Sam name. Yeah, Sam Garvin. Um, I, I don't know that how much... I'd be more worried about the other stuff than, like, the Sarver situation because the players aren't out there, like, playing for their owner anyway. Yeah, they don't care, I can still yeah. keep becoming a distraction and a storyline, but mostly for people on, like, maybe you and I or reporters and people on social media just because the, the owners and the players are so, like... Like, I, I think we conflate like the two is having a relationship more than they actually do a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, I am happy that he's going to be forced to sell though. I was, I said this before we recorded and I just want to echo uh, you and Sam killed the coverage of the entire situation on the timeline podcast. And he's, um, I won't say he's getting what he's deserved because he's about to become a billionaire yeah. um, as a punishment, but uh, hopefully as you and Sam say, hopefully they just get sold to a non broke boy. billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. There, there was no, there was no scenario. There was no solution that ended with Robert Sarver being poor. Uh, you know, <laughs> every outcome of the investigation ended with him being very rich, whether it was owning the team or not. So, at the very least, the employees that work for the team no longer have to deal with him this season or hopefully ever again, uh, because he's going to sell the team. So it was a great, great solution for the for the team, and it'll be really interesting to cover that's sort of a different way of covering the team but it'll be interesting for us and the podcast to figure out how to cover a new owner when that does come and how that impacts the team because you know there's always a transitionary period that could be a little weird do you expect it to be or would you hope let's phrase it this way would you hope that it would be maybe the like minority owners who step up um or would it be do you expect it to maybe be some i don't want to say more random but just someone yeah. coming from the outside and really just overwhelm with you know we've heard about offers in the like, yeah. not like 3 4 5 billion dollars yeah yeah bill simmons said like 4.7 or something like that uh very bill simmons way of choosing a very random number but i think a lot of the expectations on who can purchase the team for that much is based on the proximity to los angeles and the yeah. fact that there's a lot of super rich people in los angeles so from the perspective of somebody who lives in Phoenix or lives in Arizona owning the team, you know, maybe it would be better to have somebody that is a minority owner, like somebody like John Najafi, who grew up as a fan of the team and is a billionaire worth $3 billion, uh, you know, purchasing the team. But you know what? Robert Sarver was from Arizona. He went to University of Arizona. So I'm open to anyone that I think would be maybe slightly slightly less meddling in their ownership of the team and allow the basketball people to do basketball stuff 
and not be cheap with the money. So I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not insane in that. I know that we're not going to get like a good person <laughs> as the <laughs> owner of the team. Like I would say that I would love to have a good person owning the team, somebody who is not a horrible person. And I know that maybe that doesn't exist at the level of money that it takes to purchase the team, but at the very least, I hope that they're good at owning a basketball team. <laughs> right. I mean, for our you, sake, you, there's probably a pretty good chance that it won't be a downgrade. Yes. It's not going to be. Yeah, exactly. Unless at the very least that's involved. Then we might need to have another discussion about it. <laughs> well, yeah. That's a, you know, that's a fascinating one because he could buy the whole NBA. Uh, oh, so like, yeah, from the perspective of, of a non broke boy, as, as we called Robert Sarver, uh, that's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I think he'd have enough money. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'd have to check my morals at the door at certain points of that season. Hashtag big media has made a lot about DeAndre Ayton's demeanor since coming into training camp. He had the clip of him giving short answers. Yeah. Uh, there's also been, I think there, I can't remember if it was Mona Shelbourne or whoever reported that he was more so mad at Robert Sarver about the way the contract situation played out. There's also yeah. just, we know the contract situation got awkward. Like he had to go out, get an offer from the Pacers. Uh, are you actually concerned about that at all? Or do you sort of look at this as, well, if Sarver was part of the problem, he's leaving. And his teammates have said nothing but glowing things about his work ethic and game, pretty much. I'm I'm excited to watch him this year, and I'm not overly worried about him as a player. Outside of, I think, the normal concerns with DeAndre Ayton, which are focus related and specifically defensively when it comes to focus uh, in the two preseason games that we've seen so far. And forgive me for reading anything into preseason games because they may not matter at all, but there has been almost no level of focus for him defensively in those two games, which has been the case in the past. So that's, that's the thing about Deandre and is it's, it's just trying to figure out how much of this is new and how much of this is just the normal DeAndre Ayton thing, which is just some level of struggle when it comes to focusing. Um, so I do know that during the media day interviews, every player seemed to talk about how hard he worked in the off season. And that has not always been the case with DeAndre Ayton where his work ethic has sort of been a work in progress. Uh, so for him to spend an off season working really hard, regardless of the reasoning and maybe it's fr frustration related uh, that I tend to it's optimism season. That's what we call it on the podcast. This time of year is optim. Everyone talks them into themselves into everything. So I'm, I'm just going to focus on saying, well, at least you worked really hard and let's see what, what happens. But if there is one, one place where I'm worried, look, ultimately the stuff that he does defensively, the effort stuff, the extra uh, movement on defense, the extra movement on rebounds. That's what the coaching was like. Like that's Monty in his ear. That's Chris Paul in his ear. And if that stuff starts wearing thin on him, I think those are the places that you might see it. I don't think it'll be offensively. I also think people probably over or they exaggerated the whole DeAndre and didn't talk to Monty Williams yet over the yeah, off season yeah. quote, because I think people fans underestimate how much, players might be in contact with the organization sometimes before they have to come back. It was weird that he was just like, I haven't talked to him yet though. That made, <laughs> and that was at least good hashtag content, even if it's not it's super something I'd be overly concerned about. It, it was super weird. Yeah. And I think it was weird from both of their perspective. There, there was a story that sort of exists around the Suns in game seven that supposedly Deandre refused to go in to the game right. at the end of game seven. And, and there was some, altercation between Monty Williams and DeAndre and 
where Monty ap- appeared to feel like Aiton let the entire team down in that moment, regardless of the score. And, you know, I think there was some frustration between both both parties there. And uh, rightfully so, I think, you know, that's kind of not a great uh, moment for the team. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any reason to believe that neither of them can get past it. I think they'll be fine. Uh, I have other questions on DeAndre Ayton, but let's get to the, the final extracurricular topic, we'll call okay. it. Uh, Jay Crowder is on yeah. the team, but he's he's also not on the team. Yeah. How, I mean, has his value been nuked by now a lack of leverage? And then you had the questionable play to close last season as well. And also sort of just the follow-up to that. Is it a big whiff on their part if they let this drag out into the season? He's on the roster, but not with them. Or is it maybe more so a symptom of they were at such a standstill because of the KD situation over the off season? Yeah, you know, well, I have a couple thoughts on that. I, I will say that, uh, well, first of all, I like Jay Crowder. <laughs> I, th- he I think good he's for this re- team. Like he was yeah, impactful. I think he's really good, and I think he does things that that maybe some fans just don't notice because it's not super obvious. I think he's really smart defensively, and he brings an edge to the Suns that you know every every contender needs an asshole. <laughs> I like to say, and he was that guy on the Suns. You know, and the Suns kind of needed a guy that was like that. And without him, I think there's going to be uh, something missing from the team, you know, defensively and just sort of attitude wise. Now, as far as, you know, his his value, it's kind of a complicated scenario with him because he's a one year, right? He has one year left on his deal and he appears to be willing to exercise some level of control over his future, right? right. Meaning that if we said, hey, we're going to trade you to the Kings, he might say, nah, I'm not, I won't play there. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. Or at least resist it as much as possible, which is a complicated scenario with him. But like, when you think about Jay Crowder, what teams want him? It's probably going to be teams on the edge of contending mm-hmm. that want somebody like him to be on the team, the Heat, the Celtics, the 76ers, teams like that. And, you know, or I can even see like the Knicks wanting somebody like him. The Cavs, I think is an excellent example. He fit right into their starting lineup and make them amazing. And so I think from, from the perspective of the teams that want him, I don't know how much it changes that. And I actually think maybe carrying him into the season is not the worst case scenario only because after the first few games, maybe there's somewhat of a wake up call for some of the teams that are in that position where they say, Oh no, we need somebody like this right now. And maybe at that point they'd be willing to give up a little bit more than they, they were before. I, it's unfortunate, I think, with the Jay Crowder situation. For those who don't fully know or understand what happened, it's essentially that he wanted an extension or he wanted to start right to to build up his value because this contract he's going to get now will probably be the last contract of his mm-hmm. career. He's 33 yep. years old, turning 34 this season. And the Suns are starting Cameron Johnson as of right now, and they didn't want to give him an extension because the amount of money the Suns have on the books in future seasons is kind of insane, especially if they extend Cameron Johnson. So it's a situation where he's kind of looking out for the future, uh, his own personal future when it comes to money. And it still sucks. <laughs> you know, it's the, yeah, I get why he's doing it, but like, it is a contract that he signed with the Suns that he's not currently playing on. It's, it's sort of a mini Ben Simmons situation <laughs> for the Suns, but with uh, somebody who is very, very much not afraid to shoot a three pointer <laughs> in Jay Crowder. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation to see played out. I did tell you before we started recording, now that we're recording, he's going to be traded as soon as we're done. 
probably, but hopefully we have more of a chance to cover it later. Yeah, and I made it. I told you I wasn't going to put my phone on Do Not Disturb, and then my phone started blowing up three minutes into the podcast with totally unrelated shit. So it is on Do Not Disturb <laughs> now. So he will definitely get get traded. Um, how do you envision them approaching the Jay Crowder actual trade when it yeah. goes down? I think, yeah. look, if it's in the middle of the season, maybe it's a little bit different. And like you said, that could help them. It definitely hurts the Encore product, but you let other teams not just develop needs, but there might just be other teams that implode and there could then be teams that if they're going to come in as a third or a fourth party and it just opens up possibilities. But like, is it just going to be sort of this nondescript like Jay Crowder and maybe another salary for someone? Would you consider moving him where like, if you know, when you're talking about some of these teams, like if it's the heat, their primary asset is draft equity. So would it be something like that? Or could you see the Suns? maybe going forward as part of a larger deal where they're the ones, including draft equity or the fourth yeah. question of that is just, do you not see the Suns thinking like that? Just because like, let's face it. Do you really trust it not to implode in Brooklyn this year? Like if the prospect of KD yeah. in January or February is on the table, you have to at least account for that, like three to 8% chance or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. I, I think you just nailed it there at the end in that the Suns, I think they're in this weird middle ground i've been calling the kevin durant situation for the suns the kevin durant hostage situation because the suns were basically held hostage with an inability to do anything until they found out what the end of that was and i think that hampered them this offseason into doing other things that could have helped the team but now they're in a position where now that deandre and is signed he can be traded after january 15th with his approval he has to approve the trade which based on media day you can kind of think that he might uh, approve a trade if the Suns are like, he, hey, we're he thinking won't veto anything that comes across his desk. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe if it was, I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't veto anything. <laughs> I don't really know. He's got his money now. Uh, so I'm not sure what his priorities are beyond that. But I do think the Suns are in a position where they don't want to get somebody that's unplayable this year but they're hesitant to attach significant future assets because even, even if you take Kevin Durant out of the equation, the Suns have all of their future draft picks right now, mm-hmm. me- meaning they can trade up to seven or whatever it can be if you include swaps. They have Mikael Bridges under contract. They have DeAndre and under contract. They'll likely sign Cameron Johnson to an extension. And then they have Devin Booker and an aging Chris Paul. Now, when you're talking about the future of this team, if they have to pivot in some way to replace the star power that Chris Paul brings, mm. they probably want to have as many assets in tow as possible to make that possible trade. Kevin Durant being one of the obvious players that could potentially come on and, and fix the team. You know, we talk about Shea Gilgis Alexander from the Oklahoma city thunder. I know they hate it when anyone talks about the potential of him being traded, but we all saw that Wemby game or those two Wemby games. How much do they really want to win at this point? Uh, they clearly uh, want him as a player. So, you know, if there are any possibilities of the Suns making a significant move for a potential superstar or at least star level player, I think the Suns are so conscious and aware of that that they're trying to navigate the position of holding on to assets for something bigger. Well, still not making the team worse. I think right now the Suns are just worse than they were last year. There's no way around that. And and so it's a complicated situation for them. I do think there might be a willingness to trade this year's pick 
like just this coming pick mm-hmm. and then just nothing beyond that. They don't want to necessarily part with anything beyond that. Uh, but we'll see because it's tough. Like they, they, they basically had a player asking to be traded at a time where only Utah jazz players were available. And what do they want Jay Crowder for? Right, <laughs> you know, they right. definitely don't want him. And so they're in a tough position to make a good move. And I think, I honestly think the Suns are probably going to be willing to hold on to Jay Crowder, even if it means him not playing until they get something of value for him. Is there any, is there a, like a, even a non-zero chance that maybe he does suit up for this team again, if, if it drags out? Cameron Johnson just hurt his thumb in a game. Right. In like the second preseason game, four minutes into the game, Cameron Johnson sprains his thumb. He's out probably for the rest of the preseason. I'm not sure how much longer than that. Uh, it depends on the severity of the injury. There's not a lot of depth on this team right now. It's you know, like it, the bench is pretty bad, and and Jay Crowder, top six, top seven player on the team, just taken out of the rotation entirely. Yeah, that's that's a significant portion of the talent on this team. So uh, I think there's a small chance, but like if you ask Jay Crowder, he seems to think there's zero chance, and I think he has a little Wait, more control over it. Summer makes you know he like could be fine though. Like they could find him. If he doesn't play, if they right. want him to play and he doesn't. So uh, they have some level of, of the ability to like negotiate with him on that. But we'll see. I, I would be surprised if he does play. So knowing the confines in, in which you expect them to work, trying to plan around the future, are there any trade targets that stand out to you specifically you'd like to see them prioritize using like yeah. you know, Crowder's salary as one of the chips to get said player? Yeah, I mean, like I, I was just sort of, in the last podcast we had, you know, I was asking Sam, our co-host, and Kellen Olson, who's one of the beat reporters that covers the Suns, if they're at Duncan Robinson level of panic when it comes to the bench right now, you know, and then Duncan Robinson scored 27 points in a preseason game right after. And of course, everyone's like, hmm, maybe we are ready for that. Everyone that listened to that podcast because of the heat apparently want Jay Crowder. They don't seem to be as infatuated with Duncan Robinson as they were in the past. And it's not a great contract. He's paid like $18 million a year. Yeah. He is like $20 million a year. Garrison Matthews. That is what Duncan Robinson is essentially. Yeah. 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 That's a good way of putting it. And then like, there's some non-guaranteed money at the end of that deal, but it's still bad. Like, you know, in all ways, it's still not a great deal. It's four years left. That's a, that's just a lot. Like the way contracts are signed now, like yeah. non-stars aren't on the books for that long. Normally. I don't know. He has a great agent. If I were an NBA player, I would hire whoever Duncan Robinson's agent is right now, because that's just a really, really great. In fact, Cameron Johnson should go out and hire him right now until his extension is signed. Uh, by the way, one of Cameron Johnson's agents is Devin Booker's dad. Uh, so well, I have a might, feeling. Maybe he shouldn't do that. Though. Yeah, I have a that feeling he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Duncan Robinson's agent is Jason Glushin or Glushin. I apologize. All right. Shout out to Jason. Uh, he's he's clearly a genius. Uh, but so he's just somebody I threw out there. I'm not really infatuated with that. Eric Gordon, I think, is still pretty good. I think it's kind is of. year four of trade yeah. for Eric Gordon. Right, but maybe yeah. it wouldn't take a first-round pick at this point, right? Are we at the point where they might do it without a first-round? He just hired a new agent, by the way. He signed with CAA, which is where Devin Booker's dad works and where Devin Booker's agency is. I was about to say, all you basically told me is that he's either, you know, I guess that or he's going to the Knicks if he's with CAA. That's now. a good point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he'd be pretty good there, too. Uh, no more Evan Fournier for people who hate him, maybe, in that case, but matching salary with players that are actually valuable for the Suns are, is hard because Jay Crowder was kind of like on a really great contract. He signed for the full MLE money for us for three years. Basically I, I remember when the, he got that deal, I was shocked that that's all he went for. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a great, great deal. Was a great deal for the Suns at the time, but now you're trying to make a trade with him. And Eric Gordon is on the final year of his deal. He makes like eighteen million dollars a year. Unless you, have you win to, a title, the yeah, Suns are a real contender. Unless you win a title, <laughs> that's right. You know, he can get whatever he wants. <laughs> if, if the Suns, you know, max him for all I care. If the Suns win a title, uh, but you'd have to include you know Dario Saric or Landry Shamit, which I think a lot of Suns fans are like, well, yeah, do it if it's Landry Shamit. Right. Landry Shamit actually played well for the first time in a year in the last preseason game, but. Uh, you know, I I still like it. The thing I like about Eric Gordon is I feel like he could play. It's hard to find a player in that you want want to trade Jay Crowder for that could still play with Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the floor at the same time. Uh, because you need a wing, somebody big enough to guard threes, or or maybe even in some cases guard point guards because Chris Paul can't anymore. <laughs> and right. so it's kind of hard to find the perfect fit. He's somebody that could. Um, and I think he would be the primary offensive option on the bench, which has been a problem for this team in the preseason so far. Uh, so he's somebody else out there. Beyond that, it's been kind of like I like Harrison Barnes too. I think he would be great. I think he could start for the Suns in, in Cameron Johnson's spot. And I, I don't think he's necessarily available now, but that's like the kind of team that you were talking about that could implode yeah, three weeks Portland. into the season. Yeah. yeah. And maybe at that point, they'd be more willing to part with him. But other than that, it's not it's not an easy task to find somebody right now, especially on the contenders. Yeah, I have some names I was going to throw at you, but I also needed to ask this. What is um, does Sam have? Is his obsession or interest in Julius <laughs> Randall authentic? Yes. Or, okay. <laughs> I don't get it either. <laughs> I, I, I understand in a like there's a vision of Julius Randall that I think could be a complimentary player, which is what he would it's need the to be Andrew, on the It's the Andrew Wiggins of the Suns, basically. Everyone right. thought it was a joke when Andrew Wiggins was on the Warriors. So they're like, wow, he's terrible. He's not going to be great. And then it worked. But like, you, it takes a lot of if faith. It's like blind faith to believe Julius Randall could do something like that. Yeah, I'm just I'm still flabbergasted that Sam was on board with that. Um, so I look, I'll manifest it if if I can interest <laughs> you in a very heavily used Julius Randall, by all means. It, it literally got him on Nick's podcast because they were so excited at the idea of getting rid of him for anything. Like they didn't even care what came back in the trades. That's what's kind of that's into his credit, Sam's credit. That's why he's interested in it because it's like you don't have to give up anything for Julius Randall at this point. There was a moment in time, and he brings this up. Where I was like, the Suns should trade for Pascal Siakam right now. He has extremely low value. And he did. You know, he was shooting 30% from three over a year ago, came back and had an amazing season. And Sam's whole idea is players reach a nadir in value and then could potentially go up from there. I'm just not convinced Julius Randle is somebody that goes up <laughs> at this point. Yeah, and I just I can't envision him defending like he did in 2021 ever again. Maybe he right. will, and I'll be wrong. So some of the names I have listed for them and the teams that they're on. Some of these teams wouldn't be interested in Jay Crowder, but I think that the players are non-star enough that it wouldn't matter. Um, we know KJ Martin wants out of Houston and he might be kind of interesting as a guy who comes yeah. off the bench for the Suns. Um, I thought this one was, I don't know how I feel about it, but Dylan Brooks. In yeah. Memphis, would yeah. you be able to stomach the Dylan Brooks experience? I'm there. Yeah. I, the thing I'm about, there. yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the offense on the bench was terrible. Like, and I know Dylan Brooks is not like great offensively. I think, he thinks he is, and that's actually a skill for him. The thing that I like about Dylan Brooks as compared to somebody like uh, Jordan Clarkson or somebody uh, that that is like the only thing they do is bring some level of offensive skill. I think that Dylan Brooks tries on defense. <laughs> like he's not a great defender, but he tries really hard. 
And I think that's that's valuable in, in for a team that's competing. You just can't have guys that are zeros everywhere but offense on a team like the Suns. They have to do something else. If, they, if they're a good shooter or they find ways to create for themselves and they pass really well, then that's fine, even if they're a bad defender, right? But if you're like Jordan Clarkson and you're a good shooter or you can create your own shot, but you don't really try on defense and you don't really pass, I don't know that the Suns can get away with that. With Dylan Brooks, I think you can get away with him a little bit more because he tries on 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 defense and that's like a one-for-one one swap you can pretty much trade uh yeah. jay crowder for dylan brooks based on their contracts right now and so the final two names i'll wrap up with uh and i think one of these would be uh if charlotte implodes because then mm-hmm. i don't think they would want they wouldn't do this swap if they were winning or trying to win but they okay. obviously do it at the rebuilding but... i'm excited already because i think Co- i know what you can say cody martin oh cody martin i thought you were gonna say kelly Oubre. <laughs> no, once Cody, I, I figured you thought I was going there, but yeah. once Cody Martin's trade eligible. I love as, it. Yeah, just as someone who I, I wouldn't want him handling the ball like too much, but he could maybe run some second unit stuff for them. And he's very malleable positionally. I know his three point clip has been like all over the place, but it was fine last year. Um, I would love him for this team. And if you're using, I don't like, does I sh- it shouldn't take a first round pick to get, I don't even know if it would take if Charlotte's bad, does it even take Jay Crowder to get him? It might be right. some pick and then like Sarge's salary. Right. And the other name I have, because I'm convinced that I don't want to say they're out on him, but they're not going to pay him. And I think if he gets moved, it's probably for just like this nondescript first round pick plus salary that's not viewed as damaging. Gary Trent Jr. in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. We've we talked about him too. It's hard to really figure out what like how Toronto feels about Gary Trent Jr. I think he's he's under six seven, so clearly they hate him. <laughs> that's a good point. Well, how long is how long are his arms? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're that long. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that he offensively would, would fill a need for the Suns that, you know, in that Cameron Payne has been bad for like 13, 14 months now. And he was such a good story too in 2021. That's like, <laughs> and I'm still hoping for a bounce back. I think there's the, a possibility where I, even, even when he's bad, he's still kind of good. Like it's not the worst, worst, worst player. Um, but I think he would benefit from somebody else being able to handle the ball and uh, and Gary Trent Jr. would absolutely fill a need. He he makes what eighteen million dollars as well as something like that. Like it's relatively high salary, right? Yeah. So you would need another contract shoehorned in there. I think he's at. I think it was is it nineteen? It was eighteen something. Yeah, and he has I a player he's... option that everyone expects him to. He's at seventeen three. Okay, so that makes it a little easier. But I think you know when you're getting a guy who essentially is going to play shooting guard for the Suns, Shamit is expendable. So you, yeah. you and Shamit who has a future salary that, that becomes non-guaranteed at some point, like only some of the money is guaranteed. That's not the worst case scenario for some teams that can just get off of him relatively quickly. Toronto uh, so, could also yeah. use shooting, especially if they're going to lose. Yeah. Like if it was, if it was Shamit and Crowder plus a 2023 first, I don't think that's an underwhelming yeah. like starting point. And I that, don't think it would that defense would be that. absurd. <laughs> right. At that point, you add Jay Crowder to that team. Oh my God. But what are they going to do offensively? They've already been struggling in the preseason. They would be team fuck shit up on defense though. For I real. love it. Yeah. I'll yeah. watch that. <laughs> that. That's for nerds to watch and I'll watch that. So let's talk about actual basketball. Now this is okay. the single podcast that we've gone so long without talking about actual basketball. Uh, I really enjoyed you do the internal development series. You did it again this offseason. It was great. Still waiting for the internal development on Chris Paul to drop, though. I wasn't <laughs> sure when you guys were going to do that. But uh, you just, I think, recently did the one about DeAndre Ayton yeah. with Kellen Olsen. That episode was fantastic. I highly recommend everyone checking it out. And you talked about how he's branched off his offensive game. And I think for people who might not watch the Suns regularly, you guys have been on this. 
um, David, um, four point play on Twitter, whatever it is, has been on top of this as well. Um, just the hook shot being in there, his ability to slip screens, um, some of the shots that he's making from the mid rangers ability to sort of have counters once he gets the ball going downhill. What does the next frontier for him look like offensively? I, I hope it's in the short roll. And this is sort of year three that we're talking about this, but he, to, to be fair to him in that regard, he has gotten a little bit better at it every year. But what we saw in the Maverick series is that nobody is afraid to trap Devin Booker on ball screens with DeAndre. And they're just going to send two guys at Devin Booker over and over and over again. And Chris Paul, not a great off ball player is supposedly going to try being better as an off ball player, more catch and shoots this year. We'll see how long if that lasts. Reluctant. reluctant. I think he's yeah. actually a pretty good catch and shoot player. I mean, right. He just doesn't like to do, he's never, I mean, most seasons he averages less than one catch and shoot three per game. Uh, in most seasons of his career. So he's just not something he, he likes to do. Um, but in order to really fix, I think, the problems with trapping Devin Booker, I think DeAndre Ayton is probably the key, unless they find ways just to use, and I've been asking for this for years as well, Mikael Bridges as a screener uh, on Devin Booker and use him in the short roll. But I think with, with DeAndre Ayton, if he can catch the ball in the middle of the floor and, and just attack hard at, at first and then find ways to counter when the defense is coming off the corners on traps, meaning passing to Mikael Bridges or Cameron Johnson in the corners or Chris Paul, if Chris Paul is in the corner at any point, I think that would be massive for him. He honestly hasn't shown a ton as a passer. So I think there is some, for anyone who has like doubt in his ability to run the short roll 10, 15 times a game or whatever it's going to need, fair <laughs> because he first of all he fires the ball at a thousand miles an hour when he's passing it to anybody including cutters which makes it impossible to catch and uh you know but i do think that he has shown more intent when catching the ball moving towards the rim in this last season specifically the second half of last season and in like the pelican series is the best example of it than at any point in his career before and if you could start to build more and more and more on that, I think you help the team more more than ever before. You know, other people might say shooting, and yes, that's fair. Other people might say post-ups, and I understand that as well. I personally am not as big of a fan of running too many post-ups to him because I think he struggles with double teams. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how is he going to learn if you don't do it? I guess there is an argument to be made for that. I, I just personally would prefer them giving it, giving him the ball in the middle of the floor on those slipped screens for traps and seeing what he can do with it uh, more than any other season. I'd probably agree with you. And the post-ups volume would make sense if you envision him as just your sort of life raft in non-star minutes, if you're going to sit yeah. one of Booker CB3. But I don't I don't think they clearly view him in that vein. And so if you can get him doing more just sort of outside in stuff where he's making like more decisions or having to put the ball on the floor more, I think that becomes more valuable for the way that this team is built. Yeah, we've already seen in the in the preseason as soon as he catches it in the post, a second guy is coming. And sometimes it's just like a simple dig. And sometimes it's a hard double. And they're really trying to frustrate him once he catches it in the post. And so far, not great in the preseason. I think he can find ways. He's huge, right? So he, he, right. he can hold the ball above his head and pass the ball away from those doubles. But I think more often than not, it's a turnover before it's an assist. It only eight, I had this stat on the Internal Development Podcast. Only 8% of his post-ups last season resulted in a 
potential assist at the end of the play. So not even an assist, wow. just just like a shot from somebody else <laughs> off of a pass, which is just an insanely low uh, percentage off of those. So if you start sending two guys at him, which I think everyone's going to do this year, mm-hmm. uh, there's a chance that that just stops working really well. And I, I'm a little concerned about that. It does seem like the Suns are going to experiment with more on-ball stuff with Cam and Mikael Bridges this year. Maybe if yeah. only because as of right now, they don't really have a choice. Um, and with Mikael Bridges specifically, I went back and watched every one of his half-court drives. So, like, nothing in transition, no cuts, nothing while he was running. Um, it seems like that part of his game can stall out before the rim, which is wild to say for someone who, relative to the position, actually does get to, the, I think, 30% of his shots came there yeah. last season, which is high. Is there anything they can do to get him open things up or get him more downhill in those situations? Because I think that would open up his passing game. Maybe he gets to the line more. And that's probably just a pathway to expand his offensive horizons or, again, be confident in giving him more ball handling responsibility. The Suns love mid-range shots. (laughs) They just really love it. I did not realize he shot like 64% on floaters last year, by the way. That is not something that I had caught. An absurd, he shot in general an absurd percentage in like mid range shots that were like the short mid range shots, like in insanely, insanely good uh, shooting from him. And I think for him, that's a blessing and a curse. Uh, You know, Mikhail Bridges has played, we've talked about this probably every time we've done this podcast, Dan, but he's played every game since middle school. He never misses games. But I, I do wonder if sometimes that streak, that Iron Man streak, is partially because of his shying away from contact at the rim because, you know, that hurts. Right. <laughs> and, like, that could actually lead, you know, that's how Cameron Johnson missed games last year. Uh, you know, Anthony Davis is, is another guy that commonly misses games because of things like that. And I do think, though, that his finishing and his ability to get to the rim when he does if he added less of a fear of contact, which he seems intent to do in the f- first few preseason games, you know, I, I hate to read into it once again, but it's all we have right now. And if he continues to attack in that same way and just not pull up for that short jumper, even if it's a good shot, I agree with you. I think it benefits the team one, because I think he'll get more calls. And two, I think the defense will collapse more if he, if he does that. And the second counter to that is making the right pass. And Mikael Bridges has always done that. He's not, he's just good at basketball. Like every part of the game he's good at. He's good at shooting three-point shots. He's good at shooting mid-range shots. He's a great finisher at the rim. He's good at making the right passes. You know, top player and defensive player of the year votes last year. But he just doesn't do offensive stuff enough. He just kind of has to do it more. He has to take more shots, be less afraid of shooting threes, even if they're slightly contested when he drives he has to be less afraid of getting all the way to the rim you know you talked about him handling the ball more running pick and rolls is something i think could he could do a lot but it's hard with the suns because it's like you're taking the ball out of devin booker and chris paul's hands right when you do that but like and and that's how you win 64 games when you just let devin booker and chris paul do it but then you get to the playoffs chris paul is a little bit injured and nobody else can run the offense so in some respects you sort of have to lose some games this year by letting those guys make mistakes in order to be better prepared for the playoffs. And I think that's really the biggest challenge that Monty had last year, which I think, you know, they just, they sort of just won games. That's what they did. And then this year where it stalled out for the second year in a row, I think the offense was a bigger issue 
people say you can't defend Giannis in the finals, that too. But I think the offense was a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. So for two years in a row, the offense stalled out in the playoffs. They have to find, assuming they don't get Kevin Durant, they have to find some way to let other people create when Devin Booker is taken out of it. And Chris Paul, you can't really count on being healthy the whole time. Cam Johnson, do you expect him to get an extension? And what's your, if you're the Suns, like what would be the number where you're like, okay, well, we're just going to let this go into restricted free agency? <laughs> if it gets over $20 million a year, I think you could say that might be too much. But everyone's talking about the cap going up and how big of a difference that makes. And maybe a $20 million a year extension for Cameron Johnson doesn't feel as bad two years from now, three years from now as it does right now. The number we continue to use is the Duncan Robinson number because Duncan Robinson, first of all, he was overpaid and Cameron Johnson is better, which to his agent, especially on defense, especially on defense. Yeah. And I think just effort overall, but like if, if you're his agent, you're going to say, well, Cameron Johnson's better than that. So fair, I think, but you know, Duncan Robinson is overpaid. So there's a balance there uh, that they have to strike. So $18 million a year, four-year extension, something like that, I think is like a fair amount, which is what, like $72 million, I think. Mm-hmm. It, that's like a fair amount for uh, Cameron Johnson. If you're getting past $20 million a year, maybe you do let it go to restricted free agency. But at this point, the trouble the Suns have had <laughs> with people being right. happy yeah. with the restricted free agency, maybe just give it to him and, and figure it out later. <laughs> Um, or do they just let it go into restricted free agency to show Aiton that, hey, it's nothing personal. We do it with Cam, too, rather than just extend Bridges, Booker, and Mikael Bridges. And, and I mean, Robert Sarver is not paying that. That doesn't kick in until next year. So what does he care? He, he could be like, give him $25 million for all I care. Because <laughs> uh, that's the next owner's bill that they're going to end up paying. The one thing I wonder is if they have some level of trepidation to give him an extension to because then he becomes poison-pilled. Uh, yeah. for any future trades if they end up wanting to trade him this year, which I'm not saying that they do want to trade him, but you know, in talking about the Suns keeping their options open, that's one of the things that could keep their options open by not extending him now. It's just it's an unfortunate situation for Cam, and I kind of hope they do, even if that does complicate things when it comes to making trades. Are there any concerns you have about him moving into the four spot, either defensively or as a rebounder? And what does, just to latch on another question to it, um, when Monty talks about him getting more on ball responsibility or getting more offensive responsibility, what do you anticipate that actually looking like? Yeah, uh, yes, I have some fear. I think the defense is just going to get worse. Now, having said that, I think they could have basically the best offense in the NBA, that single lineup, because if Cameron Johnson plays like he did before he was injured in the Knicks game last year, which is essentially shooting 45% from three on six attempts a game, with the starters, if he ends up being like that, I just think this offense is going to be absurd. Uh, Defensively, if teams have multiple big... I think the biggest thing that the Suns have, I'll put it this way, I've been saying it over and over again, their biggest versatile skill that they had last year was they had two offensive stars and two players that could guard two offensive stars in Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder on their starting Mm -hmm. lineup. So what that meant is if a team didn't have two guys who can guard two offensive stars, the Suns were going to kill you, you know, and, and, and the Suns on the other side of that had the ability of guarding teams that had Anthony Davis and LeBron James, for example. Now they kind of don't. And it makes it just a little bit harder to figure out the matchups. You know, Chris Paul basically can't guard point guards anymore. 
So that means Mikael Bridges is often guarding point guards. So if there's another offensive star that's bigger than a point guard, I, it has to be Cameron Johnson at this point. And as much of an effort as Cameron Johnson puts in on defense, he's not Jay Crowder, and he's nowhere near as strong as Jay Crowder was. So I am a little worried about the defense. I do think the offense is going to be, once it clicks, I think it's going to be beautiful to watch, and I mm-hmm. think they're going to be really, really great offensively. Um, now, as far as you're talking about the bigger role that he takes on offensively, I think I, I have a feeling it's going to be Mikael Bridges more than Cameron Johnson for the record. But I think in transition, I think that the Suns are the Suns were I think eighth in in pace last year. I have a feeling that's going to go up even higher because I I think that it's not always going to be Chris Paul or Devin Booker dribbling it down in transition anymore. I think it's going to be basically everyone but DeAndre Ayton in the starting lineup. Whoever gets to the ball off of the rebounds, the person closest to the outlet pass is just going to run it as quick as possible. And that means Cameron Johnson handling in transition, Mikel Bridges, Devin Booker, uh, and Chris Paul in some cases. And I think that's probably going to be the first thing we see, him taking more of the ball handling responsibilities in transition. Beyond that, I think there's some elbow sets, that what we call elbow sets for the Suns, where Devin Booker is sort of curling around uh, screens at the free throw line where you just put Cameron Johnson in those sets. And now Devin Booker's in the corner, who's an excellent corner three-point shooter or just catch-and-shoot three-point shooter in general. And you just let the person who's moving on those plays be Cameron Johnson a little bit more and use Devin Booker and DeAndre in off-ball gravity to find ways for Cameron Johnson to score that way. And I think they're going to do that a lot more, which they were able to do last year with him on the bench. Uh, Chris Paul, you've mentioned him a couple times now. Age 37 season, we saw how Dallas targeted him in the playoffs. I know he was banged up, but is there any concerns about just the age, the fact that he can't defend point guards anymore? And is this, I think I've asked you, I asked you guys this last year. He's been vehemently against this, but could we see like a maintenance program for age 37 uh, CP3 at all to try to keep him fresh for the playoffs? I, I, I hope so. <laughs> that sounds like have no, like if Cameron Payne continues to be bad, Cameron Payne also hurt his finger. Uh, in the last preseason game. But if Cameron Payne continues to be bad, like the lack of depth at that point guard position is is bleak. Yeah. Uh, if you even say Cameron Payne's bad, it's just literally Chris Paul who played more minutes last year than he did in the previous season. And, you know, if you if you find a way to, like maybe a Jay Crowder trade could include Cameron Payne and they're trying to get uh, a different backup point guard. I've even made the case for Mike Conley on our Discord where I'm like, what Whoa. if we just trade for Mike Conley and say, screw it, Backup point guard is more important when you have Chris Paul than other. Let's just put Mike Conley in it and see how that goes. Uh, and then he's expiring. We'll figure it out later. Um, but <clears throat> it's just, it's to the point where I hope he does take some time off. But Dan, I'm going to be honest with you. I saw the Adelaide 36ers targeting Chris Paul. <laughs> like that did happen in that game. They ran their offense on trying to target Chris Paul. And I think Monty Williams has a challenge of trying to figure out ways to mitigate that where you're not switching Chris Paul onto players as much. The Suns were so good at switching in previous years, but he's old now. Like you, you can't count on what he did previously to continue. And beyond that, we're talking about Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, DeAndre, and all of these guys taking more of the offensive responsibility because the more and more your offense is predicated on a 37-year-old point guard, the bigger challenges you're going to face if he gets banged up later in the season. So I think it's a, it's a concern. I think the fact that they were so in on Kevin Durant is not a coincidence when it comes right. to that concern. 
And I think that as far as assets and trades later, they could do something to address that concern. We, you, we've already mentioned this a few times now. The bench is caps lock rough here mm -hmm. in Phoenix mm -hmm. at the moment. And so I have an agenda with this question. Are okay. we going to see any actual, I want actual Devin Booker at point guard lineups, not ceremonial. <laughs> well, he's the yeah. primary ball handler anyway. Yeah. They only did that for 183 possessions last year. They had a 127.3 offensive rating, which is very high. Yeah. And it's also a way of, you know, you can you stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker anyway, but in theory, if you're looking to get more um, development, developmental reps for eight non-ball doing things, or even Mikael Bridges doing things like staggering yeah. your stars even further and giving Booker some more solo time might be a way to open that up. And if the answer is no, let's just move on because I don't feel like crying on this podcast. No, no, I, I hope so. I, I really do hope so at this point. I actually think some of the moves they made in the offseason point to the ability to do that. Even somebody like Josh Akogi, who, uh, you know, he can guard point guards, but maybe shouldn't have the ball in his hands at all or ever. <laughs> Ideally, oh. you know, poor Josh Kogi, but he can't shoot. Like, he's just a bad shooter. Um, but if you put him in a point book lineup, as we like to call it, um, then he could take a lot of the defensive responsibility of a point guard. Devin Booker can st still do what he normally does on defense and then run the offense. But look, I, I don't, I understand why the Suns were so intent on bringing a good point guard to play uh, with Devin Booker. I think Devin Booker is such a great off ball player that it really helps him a lot. And I also think when you have DeAndre Ayton on the team, like you need a great point guard to help set up DeAndre Ayton as one of the better finishers in the league. But the last time we really made a real concerted effort to play Devin Booker at point guard, everyone else on the team sucked. Right. <laughs> at some point, try it with good players. You know, like every <laughs> novel concept, every stat we have for Devin Booker when it comes to like playmaking stats and running the offense is good. Like none of them point to reasons you should stay away from it at this point. You know, all of the touch stats that Suns fans like to bring up where he averages the most points per touch of any player in the NBA. All of those stats point to him having the ball more means the Suns are playing better. Not to mention the most important stat, which is Chris Paul's 37 years old. <laughs> and at some point, we're facing a future without him. And once you start facing a future without him, you don't want to get to the point where Devin Booker's not used to that. I think they got to do it more. They just have to do it. And I think what they're worried about at this point is exactly what we saw in the Mavs series, is just completely loading up the defense to guard yeah. Devin Booker. And that's good. Make them face that more in the regular season so that they're more prepared for that when the postseason comes because that does not need to be their downfall again. And I think defensively, right, you take Chris Paul out of the lineup in that Mavs series, not to make everything about the Mavs, but take Chris Paul out of the lineup in that Mavs series, put anyone else in, and their whole system of attacking Chris Paul over and over and over and over and over again falls apart a little bit, and you have a, at least a slightly better advantage defensively at that point. The other thing I'll point to with the um, book at point guard lineups, I still think he's an underrated passer. When people yeah. say, like, yeah, most of his passes might be reacting to the defense, um, but there's there's a feel for the game. Like, he can make these intrinsic passes, and the passes he makes, regardless of how you want to classify them, they fucking matter. And one of the stats, I don't cite too much because it's just too much to work through, but I'm going to make you sit through it, mm -hmm. is assist to pass percentage adjusted, which is the percentage of passes by a player 
that are assists, free throw assists, or secondary assists. And so you look at last season, among anyone to make 100 passes, the only there are only two players who ranked higher in this metric, Trey Young and Chris Paul. And Devin Booker has also ranked in the top five of this metric for three years running. Yeah. So like, let's have more confidence in Devin Booker, the playmaker too, because it's clearly worked yeah. when you've given him, as you said, better players. His turnover, his turnover rate went down last season as well. He had one of the best years of his career as far as turnover rate. And I, I do think that if you look at this, just the percentage that players shoot off of Devin Booker's stats, even compared to Chris Paul, they're way better. Like essentially every player that receives a pass outside of DeAndre Ayton, who nobody is better at setting players up at the rim than Chris Paul. Right. But outside of that, when you're looking at shooters, every player on the Suns shoots better off of passes from Devin Booker. And I think it's clear why the defense collapses on Devin Booker so much more. And I think that means putting the ball in his hands a little bit more, I think would benefit the team. And I think people don't know this because nobody's watching the Suns when they were bad, but before Chris Paul got to the Suns, Devin Booker averaged 6.8 assists per game, which is at the time basically the most for shooting guards in the NBA. 6.8 assists, that's absurd for a player who was not the point guard. And that was with Ricky Rubio on the team. Right. Uh, so it's not like he had nobody to share the ball with. It's just Chris Paul is such a vortex when it comes to playmaking that he sacrificed in order to allow Chris Paul to do it. And at some point, as Chris Paul ages, that sacrifice needs to go the other way. Uh, it's wild how far the discourse between me and the timeline podcasters have come on Devin Booker's. I think my first ever interaction with Sam was years ago when I had Jason Tatum ranked above Devin Booker in something when I used to write <laughs> the NBA 100. And then this year, though, um, while it's become a collaborative thing with Bleacher Report where I just write blurbs for it and it's not out yet, so I can't spoil the number. He finished higher than I expected. Oh. And I yeah. think you guys will be happy. But I also thought it was too low. And I went on a passing rant about him to where I think <laughs> in, in the words that I was allotted, by the way, okay. um, because I think he's just been in this realm of we, I think a lot of people haven't recognized like, Oh, DeMar DeRozan has been like one of the best pick and roll passers in the NBA for almost a half decade now. And I yeah. just feel like Devin Booker specifically off collapses or just in terms of throwing passes that matter or that lead to scoring opportunities. Um, he still doesn't receive enough credit for that. Right. Right. I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's something I've been on, on Twitter and, YouTube is the way that he uses his eyes to fool the defense, looking away, sending passes without looking, no look passes, stuff like that. He's really a high level playmaker. And I just think he doesn't have the ball enough for casual fans to really see the the levels he can get to. So when I was listening to granted you at you, the top you and Sam talked to Kellen about something other than Deandre Ayton, but a lot of that podcast was spent about Landry Shamit. Uh, are you yeah. as out on Landry Shamit as Sam is? No, no, I mean, no, I'm not. I, you know, I think, you know, we were talking about uh, Dylan Brooks earlier and, and trying hard on defense. And I think Landry Shamit had his worst season shooting last year and tried really, probably his best season on defense. Um, and so if he can find a way to bring back his shooting, like his shooting percentage, I don't have it in front of me, but I can, from memory, I'm just going to say this. His shooting percentage when having six feet or more of space at the three-point line went down like almost 7%, which is oh, just, Christ. that's not a normal change. No. So I think you can sort of read into maybe something else was going on, or some sort of just distractions or something personally or some level of injury or something that caused that to change because it's just such a dramatic change year over year. You know, three-point percentages are hard to, you know, 
sometimes they're just weird year over year. It's not predictable entirely. Look at Duncan Robinson, who we were just talking about last year compared to the year before. Um, but you know, he's not untouchable. <laughs> I'll tell you that if, if you can find an upgrade for Landry Shamit, you absolutely should. But I am, it's optimism season. I am trying to be optimistic about Landry Shamit having some level of a bounce back year because every other year offensively, he was better. So I think there is enough evidence to at least think, okay, last year, maybe that was an outlier and he can get back to what he was before that. He also just had an amazing game in preseason. So like optimism season is kind of peaking for Landry Shamit right now. And I'm just, I, my hopes are higher. The Suns could also just use someone who gets up three pointers and Cam Johnson moving the starting lineup, I think will help some of that, but they could use someone who is just like, unconscious with his volume and you i so i looked it up while you were talking to he went from 42.9 percent on um threes when defenders were six plus feet away to 38.2 so that was quite a steep okay, drop. yeah so not as high as i thought but higher than you would think as far as uh changes uh in that percentage it seems to be pretty high and and if you look at previous years they were all basically over 40 when it comes to that that amount of space so the secondary front court rotation feels oddly crowded and unimpressive who is who is getting squeezed out of here? It seems like Monty's really high on Jock Landale. Does that mean Sharich is kind of, you know, once he's full bore, he's not really going to be used that much? Are they actually going to try him at the four? Uh, are we not going to mm-hmm. see as much Ish Wainwright as we would like to as a result? Uh, How do you see those things shaking out? My prediction for you, Dan, is that you're going to love Jock Landale. Uh, that's, my, that's my prediction for you. Uh, because from first of all, they love him. Like they just absolutely, they can't stop talking about him, whether it be the players or the coaching staff, they're just all in on Jock Landale, uh, which I didn't anticipate. I thought, I actually thought there was a chance that Jock Landale would be after Biombo in the rotation. That was my expectation, um, as of like two weeks ago. And then Monty basically put in the MVP vote for him around then. So, well, yeah. So when I'm talking about after Biombo, I mean, Sarge, then Biombo, then Jock Landale. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of that, cause Sarge was a center last year. Instead of that, what we've seen so far, Jock Landale, number one, Sarge out of the rotation entirely for the first game of the preseason, which is obviously why they lost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that, uh, the injury to Cameron Johnson sort of forced Cam- uh, Sharich back into the rotation. He played both power forward and center for the Suns in the second preseason game against the Lakers. But Jock Landale was still the primary backup center in that game, and he was awesome. I think he had like 14 points in 15 minutes and a bunch of offensive rebounds. He made two threes. He he kind of looked like taller Sharich in that game which is kind of nice to see Sam I think really put it succinctly online in that Jock Landale was kind of the middle ground between Biombo and Sharich in that he can do some of the stuff that Sharich did but he's a lot bigger than Sharich closer to Biombo's size and I think for the Suns if they're thinking Sharich can't hold up as a center for the entire season they're probably right because the last time we saw Sharich, he was so good mm-hmm. at center for the first three or four months of the season. And then just got worse and worse and worse as the season progressed, as he got a little beat up, I think, at the center position. And it all culminated with him tearing his ACL in the first game of the finals. So I think Sharich is, just from a pure skill perspective, probably a top six, seven player on the Suns right now. 
so they have to find ways to get him on the floor. If that means playing a power forward, which I don't necessarily like. I hate that idea, by the way. I'm officially, yeah. I'm not thrilled about it. But it's Tori Craig or it's Dario Saric at this point. So I'm like, maybe it's okay if it's not. You know, Tory Craig hasn't been over overly exciting either. So, you know, once they trade Jay Crowder, everything could change for the record. So it might even include uh, Dario Saric at that point. He might not be on the team beyond that. Uh, but I like Dario Saric, and I think they need to find ways to get him on the floor. If they, he's he's smaller than he's been before it, on the Suns, at least. Like he appears to weigh less, mm-hmm. meaning maybe there's some less uh, stress on his knees, on his legs. Maybe he can move around a little better, power forward. I just think with Dario, if you're parking him in the corner, you don't have him on the floor, basically, because he's not Cameron Johnson. He's not this Claymore waiting to explode as soon as the ball touches him. He needs to be in the action. He needs to be setting the screens, catching the ball, making the passes, pitching it to another guy to screen for them. Like Those little things that he does really only happen a lot when he's at center, and they happen a lot less when he's at power forward. Having said that, him and Frank actually played together well, Frank Kaminsky, when they played together. So Jock can kind of do some of the stuff that Frank does because he can spread the floor, theoretically. Uh, We'll see if it actually holds, but they seem to think he can. So maybe there is a version where him and Jock Landell develop some level of chemistry together and Jock doesn't have to screen all the time. He can kind of spread the floor in the corner and Sharj can still kind of screen in some of those plays. And if that works, I think that's fine. They just need to find ways to get him on the floor, I think. So where, where are we at with Ish Wainwright then? Is he not really actually going to factor? I was kind of hoping... Look, I'm at the point where just because Wainwright's hands always seem like they're up, even when yeah. they're not facing the ball, uh, I would rather see him playing four minutes over Sharks at the four. I'm not joking when I say they could start Ish Wainwright right now for Cameron Johnson, and I would be happy. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, he does so much... He does so much that is just like what nobody else wants to do, which is, you know, get hit really hard, reach in, get rebounds, you know, and actually, I, I, I believe in his shooting for the record. I think that his shooting, I think it's going to be real. I think he can actually get better. And I think he's going to, I said this last year and he ended up getting one, but I think he's going to earn himself a full rotation spot this season. He's Hell currently, yeah. he's currently on a two way. Once some trades get made, I have a feeling there's going to be an extra spot. And they're going to sign him to a full contract going forward. Um, but they're probably not going to do it yet. But I I, I, I think he's great. And uh, I think it's more likely he leapfrogs Tory Craig than a lot of people realize. And Tory Craig, I think, is just such an obvious trade candidate, a $5 million expiring deal for a player that's been kind of disappointing since he came back to the Suns. Uh, and Ish Wainwright is an obvious replacement there. So I, I hope he gets minutes. You know, you're talking about him playing at center. They did that so much less than I wanted last year anyway that they need to find him minutes at forward because they just, I don't know, Monty doesn't like to go small as much as I wish he would. Uh, who intrigues you more for this team, Damian Lee or a healthy Josh Akogi? <sighs> That's tough because it's like, who cares? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I know what Sam would say, and I'll just say it for him, Josh Akogi. Uh, I think that Josh Akogi is... like. I just envision minutes of Josh Okogie guarding the point guard and Mikael Bridges having the ability to like be that sort of free roaming safety, which he's never really allowed to be on the Suns because the Suns don't have any point of attack defenders mm-hmm. outside of him. So giving Mikael Bridges the freedom to do different things defensively than uh, than he has been really 
had he hasn't really had that freedom in the last especially last year where he was essentially tasked with guarding the point guard every single game right. or their primary point of attack uh every single game now i think you can have lineups where it's okogi but like okogi is not he's a bad shooter like you're you're hoping for 32 percent from three when it comes to josh that's aspirational yeah and it's like lower than his career average yeah so so you're you, i think at least um so you're kind of hoping for that kind of thing from him so I, th- I would say him and now damian lee i don't know I, it's just tough to really if he can't shoot damian lee if he can't shoot he doesn't bring a lot and he's had up and down shooting over his career so hopefully mm-hmm. this is an up year and if it is i think damian lee could actually get a lot of minutes because he's just a guy that's going to eat minutes shoot threes play okay defense have long arms be kind of tall for his size and or for his position and you know, play, he could play shooting guard. He could play small forward. So there's some room for both of them. But I have a feeling that I wouldn't be surprised if Okogi got significantly more minutes than Lee once the season is over. I think that like what Okogi does is more bankable with the defense. Damian Lee just intrigues me more as an overall player for someone who can move without the ball and then theoretically his shooting and not being you know totally cooked on defense against twos and threes. Right, right. I, I agree with that because you know we'll see if it ends up being. We'll see if it ends up being something that Damian Lee, if he can just shoot, what did he shoot? 40% two seasons ago or something like that. Like that's, uh, if he could do that, then there's not a lot of players in the Suns that could do that right now. So right. he'll get minutes. We've reached the cookie quarter portion of the podcast. And I asked this question, does this team have any underrated strengths or weaknesses or potentially hidden gems or concerns that are not being talked about enough? And if we're going hidden gems, I'm I'm just gonna you know uh, exclude Wayne Wright from that since we already talked about him. Yeah, yeah. You know, I made my prediction about Jock Landale with you. I think you're gonna end up like I think a lot of people, a lot of look, a lot of the type of people who end up liking backup centers for teams will like Jock Landale. Like I'm not saying that Jock Landale is gonna be a household name, but like you'll see Steve Jones tweet about him <laughs> or something, somebody like that that does like actual film analysis. <laughs> And uh, they'll see that. But the other part, I think this is sort of an unfair way to put this, but I think the roster versatility that the Suns have as far as making trades is actually going to matter a lot for this team, whether it be this season. Look, they might just hold out and say, you know what? Let's figure it out later. Chris Paul's salary after this year is non-guaranteed. They have the ability of even getting rid of Chris Paul if they want to, just paying him $10 million to go away next year. If they end up, I don't see a scenario where they do that for the record, but they have a lot of roster versatility that they could they could use and make trades. And I think whatever we're seeing of this team right now, it's not what we're going to see at the end of the season. I think that's the most likely case. There is the complication of the Suns are for sale and don't really have an owner right now. So if anything holds that up, it's that. But assuming they have the kind of freedom that I hope they do, I think this team could be improved as the playoffs come. I would agree with you, which makes this next question sort of stupid. But what do you think the 10-man rotation at full strength and as currently constructed should look like for this team? And I, I'll, I'll frame it this way. They're very clearly are like, I guess, six or seven locks at least. We have Chris Paul, yeah. Booker, Bridges, Johnson, Ayton, Payne, and then I guess Shamit is another lock at yeah. this point. Yeah. Um, so how do you flesh out like beyond those seven? Yeah, I think Jock Landale, Tory Craig are probably the next two so that's nine right yeah and I, I guess it's up for grabs after that it's actually kind of an interesting scenario where like 
the son signed Dwayne Washington Jr. as well, which is not like a great. Sign I know game. Sam loves him. I mean, he averaged 10 points a game last year. Like he's a player that can dribble and the Suns don't have a ton of players that can dribble right now. So there's a chance that Dwayne Washington Jr. finds a way into the rotation. I guess if I had to choose somebody at that last spot, I would want it to be Ish Wainwright because I think, you know, there's that the ability of playing small ball center. Uh, And I do think that not having Jay Crowder, having a big, huge, strong guy that can guard big, huge, strong guys on the other team, or even just like eat up five fouls <laughs> at that position is not the worst case. And, uh, and he's somebody that look, I think his corner shooting will be fine. He can't really do much beyond that offensively, but like there's been multiple times last season where the Suns were losing and they just put, they just put Ish Wainwright in for, you know, 15 minutes straight and they just came back and won. And there's not, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence he's a different look for the Suns than they have with anyone else. And so if I had to choose, I think I would hope it would be him. I think they're going to struggle, right? They can't play full bench lineups because the offense is terrible on the bench right right now. So they're going to struggle even to try to not play their starters too much. So if somebody like Ish Wainwright can prove valuable, I think that'll go a long ways. When you look at the bench specifically, should fans be annoyed that they didn't go out and burn their mini MLE, or is this actually an instance of, and this is what I struggle with. Cause I will, I will criticize teams when they don't spend, but you kind of look at how the market played out and it was, well, who are they going to sign with? Yeah, that they, money? Well, there was a Kevin Durant hostage situation as we right. talked about. So they had to wait for that to be resolved. And I think they strategically said, we're not going to use that MLE now. Cause what if we trade campaign? Now we got to use it on a point guard, right? What if we trade Jay Crowder? Now we got to use it on a wing. And then everyone was gone <laughs> by the time that was done. And the one player I think that you could make the case that could have brought value to a team was Dennis Schroeder. And if you remember the reports that came out after Dennis Schroeder signed with the Lakers, it's that Dennis Schroeder chose between the Lakers, the Suns, and another team. So the Suns were kind of in on maybe replacing Cameron Payne basically with Dennis Schroeder at that point of the season. And, and Schroeder chose to go to the Lakers at this point. I think I think the Suns I think Suns fans can be annoyed at this team, but I think as far as their lack of movement on anything in the offseason, but like everyone sort of understands why there was a chance the Suns could get Kevin Durant and they tried their best to do it. And now they're in a weird position of coming into the season with maybe some players that well, with definitely some players that are unhappy and some roster spots that are not as deep as you'd like them to be. But if there is buyouts at some point of the season and the Suns continue to have the TPMLE available to them, they'll basically have the most of any quote-unquote contending team to yeah. offer. So somebody like Eric Gordon, if he ends up being bought out, or you can make the case for other players. That would be objectively players. hysterical if that's how this ends. Eric Gordon, if Phoenix in a buyout. after It would be great, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it could end up, you know, maybe he would take, if the Suns offer him the full MLE, for example, their full te- MLE, which is like seven point something million, uh, that's less of a buyout if they find a way to buy him out for less than that with, uh, with the Rockets. But anyway, they have the ability of signing players later if they end up needing to and in a buyout i am kind of glad that they didn't (laughs) i looked at the free agent list after kevin durant the kevin durant hostage situation was over and it was bleak it was really bleak and look maybe they could have used it before that i understand why they didn't but it is a situation where the entirety of the sun's offseason was impacted by that and they're still sort of paying for it 
And, uh, and I think they're going to until the trade deadline and they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do before the playoffs start. It's, you know, at this point, it's probably your last swing with Chris Paul at this point. So if they're going to make a swing with Chris Paul, it's now. And if they don't, they're sort of conceding that that's okay. They're not going to win this year and they'll pivot next year and figure out something different. Uh, what should be this team's go-to crunch time lineup? It's an obvious question, but do you see the potential for them to futz and fiddle with it at all, depending on the matchups that they're facing? Well, as long as DeAndre in is, is completely engaged this season, then I think it'll just be the starters and, and the starters will close. If DeAndre in is somehow not great or, you know, if the everyone's worst fear as far as Suns fans comes true and he's clearly unhappy with the team and not trying defensively, yada, 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 Maybe you can. There were a few games last season where Dario Sarge, or two seasons ago, where Dario Sarge closed instead of DeAndre, and it was sort of a lesson being taught to DeAndre. But beyond that, I think that it's probably just going to be the starters. There's not really a scenario where it won't be. It's amazing how long ago that feels that there were games where Sharich was closing and Aiton wasn't because he just feels like even though he's flawed and I, I think consistency when we talk about where he could develop the most that might still be like the single biggest yeah um, area he can make progress. He's just such like a much better player than those yeah. days when we're talking about Sharich closing over him. Oh, absolutely. And you know there was this great uh, quote by Giannis about consistency recently. I don't know if you saw this, but somebody asked him like what it takes to be a star player in this league. And he went on this long rant about how it's not about skill. It's not about skill, which, you know, is almost for some people, maybe funny coming from Giannis because he's accused of being unskilled. James Harden was pointing at the TV when, when Giannis said that. Yeah. I'm like, Giannis is skilled. Obviously (laughs) just watch basketball. Uh, But his whole point was about how hard it is to be consistent in the NBA and how the best players in the world are the ones that are capable of being great on a consistent basis. And I was watching that going, somebody show this to DeAndre Ayton right now. <laughs> I said, make it his ringtone. Like make, make, make a player every time, every day he wakes up in the morning, make sure that's the first thing he sees. Because if he's, if Ayton is consistently as good as he could possibly be, he's like a no question all-star. But the only thing holding him back from being that all-star, in my opinion, is his ability to remain focused and consistent on a day-to-day basis. I would say Monty Williams should text him the video, but apparently he, they don't have each other's numbers. So yeah. That, that might be the worst case for Aiden. He'll delete it immediately. <laughs> uh, is there a weirdo bonkers quirky lineup you want to see Monty Williams roll out this season? Oh, that's fascinating. I think all of the uh, like non traditional lineups that I've been thinking about have been, with Devin Booker at point guard. Yes. So so maybe you could say Devin Booker at point guard and Ish Wainwright at center and just sort of fill in the rest. <laughs> and let's just see like this full Houston Rockets sort of PJ Tucker style James Harden lineups and, and see what see what happens with no center and uh, and DeAndre in that point guard. And I guess you could say Cameron Johnson would have to be in there for shooting purposes. Mikael Bridges would have to be in there for defensive purposes. And that final spot, I think, could be up for grabs, whether if you need offense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you need offense, Landry Shamit. If you need defense, Josh Okogie, I I guess you could say. Uh, I'm mad that you took my exact lineup. Oh, Uh, was it? It was so you had four of them in there, and I just had Damian Lee listed there. Okay, I think that's fair, too, because that's like switchability. Yeah. That's probably the best version of that, yeah. Um, I would. So if you, if you see that lineup at all in the season, if you could please tag me, I'd very much appreciate it. Cause uh, I, would I will. I, 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 well, I will definitely tweet about it if I see it, because 
it it would be like, is Monty gone? <laughs> is somebody else coaching right now? <laughs> so as we're recording this, the Suns' current win total is set at fifty two point five, which would yeah. be an eleven win if they miss it. It would be a twelve win drop off from last year. Are you smashing the over or the under on that? And where do you right now? Yeah. Um, let's assume they don't make any moves, but where do you see them stacking up relative to the rest of the West? I think the panic about the Suns being bad discounts the fact that they have a bunch of good players still in Devin yeah. Booker, Chris Paul, Mikel Bridges, Cameron Johnson, DeAndre, and you know, the starting lineup are five really great players. Yes, they have depth issues, but they can still make moves to help address that. And that's easier than fixing the top end talent, which they do currently have. Uh, but I wouldn't bet. I wouldn't bet on that <laughs> if I were you, because look, I think they'll win more than that personally. Uh, you know, I, I'd be surprised if they, you know, 53 wins. I'd be surprised if they didn't get at least 53 wins. But is there a scenario where everything goes badly and, and the Suns kind of have a disastrous season from hell? Yeah, there is one. I don't want it to happen and I don't think it will. But when it comes to gambling, like I wouldn't put your money on that definitely not happening personally. That's a stay away, I guess, in my mind. So I have, this comes the caveat. I have to go through it again at the same time and do every team because I've smashed way too many overs. Um, yeah. when, so I would take the over because I just don't think 11 wins is a huge drop off in itself. And they would still hit the over if it was just yeah. 11 wins off last year's pace. However, um, I also did pick them to have the best regular season record again because I just thought they were going to be a machine. Now, since then, we've had Aiton's press conferences. Um, we've had the Sarver stuff. We've had Jay Crowder not with the team. And so I would not bet on that anymore. And once you lose Jay Crowder, until you make a trade, one injury just throws you off, even if it's not to one of your stars. Like if it's the Cam Johnson, for instance, yeah. that just, yeah. you know, which, that, which that already board, happened by the way, right? So that borderline yeah. cripples you. Um, but I think I would still lean towards the, unless you think that CP three is going to miss like 25 games this year or something. I think I'd still lean yeah. towards um, the over under their place in the West though, is more fascinating because the West is, it's a blood, like the league feels like a bloodbath this year. Maybe, maybe Weminyama clears that up a little bit sooner than we expected, but just like between Golden State, the Clippers and Nuggets being healthier, I am really, really, really high on the Pelicans this year. The Timberwolves. Yeah, the, That's the one Tim thing I did bet on <laughs> the Pelicans uh, being good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe they're over under, by the way, set at like 42 and a half as we're Yeah, recording. I know. I got it when it was already 45. I was like, dang it, man. I really wanted it at a lower number, but I still. I still bet it, and I'm not even worried about Zion being injured. Like, I still think they'll probably hit it, even if he misses time. Um, so are there, like, a certain number of teams that you think are just going to be guaranteed to be better than them in the West this season? I guess. I mean, as it. far as regular season wins, I wouldn't count on anyone. And I think I speak for all Suns fans in saying, at least nobody punched anybody else. <laughs> like, that's kind of where we're at. Like, everyone's worried about the vibes for the Suns, but it's like, wow, at least that didn't happen. Um, now there is, you know, I think you're right about injuries. I will say you talked about Chris Paul missing time. The Suns actually won at a higher rate without Chris Paul when he missed times last time last year. Than so he's the problem. Yeah, Aggregators. He's a, I think you could say he's a problem. Yeah. No, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I just think the Suns have done such a great job of fighting through that kind of adversity last year. And maybe that was sort of an undercovered part of their great season. It, it wasn't all due to health. It was just, they were adapting uh, so well with their depth and their talent. Now you're talking about some of that depth being gone. I think that's accurate. I think that's right. Um, but even Cameron Johnson, when he started last year, in a year where he wasn't good, basically the whole year, he was good when he started. So 
I don't know. Maybe these players can find ways to to fight through that. And you know, this will be, I think, Monty's biggest challenge when it comes to expectations as a coach, even more than post finals, because they had more talent post finals. I think they have less talent right now, which means coaching is more important. But yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough time to try and predict anything that's going to happen with this team. Yeah, I do think they're going to wind up making a move that's either medium to just huge. And so I would still pencil them in pretty comfortably to like top four with top five being their floor. But sort of the final thing on this is, is there any though, when you're looking at how they need to improve, is there any just one team in the upper echelon of the West that you feel is a particularly bad matchup for them at this moment? Yeah, uh, healthy Clippers, I think, is a bad matchup for essentially everyone but the Bucks. You know, uh, if they put that's that's the matchup where you play Wayne right at the five. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's when you kind of have. But like without Jay Crowder, when you're playing a team that has Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, it's not easy to figure out who guards who on that team. And I think at at some point you probably end up with Devin Booker guarding a really good player for a whole game, and he's improved. He's vastly improved defensively. But look that's going to wear him down, you know, like uh, offensively. And he's not Jay Crowder, even when he tries really hard uh, because nobody is, you know, you know, maybe we can trade for Draymond Green at this point. (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, do we need to add this to the, to the, like to the list of sons concerns, having Draymond Green in the locker room at this point? I don't know. I'm, I think him and Chris Paul and Devin Booker would actually get along really well. (laughs) I'll be hundred percent honest. They're all kind of assholes. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and yeah that's true um is, is there anything or anyone about this team that uh we didn't touch upon that you think needs to be discussed i think that's everyone i i can't think of anyone that i'm well you look i'll be honest i think this kind of tends to happen when we talk i think devin booker is sort of the least talked about Suns player at this point because you're just like that's he's just gonna be good but right. like if he gets a little bit better than he was last year he's really freaking good. Like that puts him at the top. You know, I don't know what your list says, Dan, uh, and I hope Suns fans don't kill you for it. As far as whatever it says, I know you didn't make it, but whatever it says, but I, I think say, it was, I am not BR is not a monolith. It was a right. collaborative effort, but right, I, I think right. Suns fans will be pleased. Actually, if he's in the top, look, ESPN put him as the 10th best player in the NBA. Like if he's oh, in that, Suns fans might be pissed off. Then. Okay. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> if he's in the top 10 conversation this year, that will have the biggest impact. You can talk all you want, I think, as fans about role players getting better, but we all know what really matters in the NBA. It's the stars. And if the stars get better, which Devin Booker still has the ability to do, uh, that will have a bigger impact than anyone anyone else on the team getting better. Yeah, look, the form on his jumper alone screams should be like a 44% shooter from deep. Yeah, I'm yeah. still waiting for that season to come. Yeah, last year I think was a, a, a nice... Uh, it, it was in the right direction. Cause one, one thing I'll say about Devin Booker is when looking at his three point percentage, you have to factor in that almost like two thirds of them or more are pull up threes Yeah, because he just doesn't play off the ball that much. So when you're talking about 38 point, whatever, whatever he ended up shooting last year, you have to factor in that most of those were pulling up. And when you're pulling up and shooting that, well, that's a really, really good three point shot. So Fingers crossed that that still continues or even gets a little bit better. And if he can add back the drives and finishing at the rim that he had in the previous season, which I think he sort of borrowed from those drives to shoot more from three this year. And if he can add those back, I think that's how he gets back into the or gets into that top 10 player of the of the league conversation. 
Uh, Mike, this was great. You gave me way too much of your time. You were generous, as always. In case anyone skipped the intro, are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the fantastic work that you do? Yes, uh, at Protected Pick on Twitter. My name is spelled Mike Vigil, so if you pronounce it like that, I won't be mad. Uh, but most well, people... Don't you have a... Uh, it, in your like profile, it's pronounced. It's in my bio. It's, yes, be a little pro- mad Some to bad. pronounce it correctly. But like, if if you're not reading the bio and you just see my name and tweets with the picture of the bag on my head, uh, like I understand. But uh, yeah, at Protected Pick, you can listen to our podcast, The Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. It's a Blue Wire podcast. It's on every podcast app that you have. Follow Sam too. His is at Scooper Hoops. He's a good follow. He's missed on this podcast. It's fun when we do the three man, the three man weave. That one might have been a three hour podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) But that's all I got. Um, Oh, wait. Actually, I'm on TikTok now. I should say that. I'm trying to promote that. You made the Uh, plunge. I made the plunge. I'm trying to. There's not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go at a lot of TikTok creators. But in my opinion, there's not a lot of great basketball content on TikTok right now. And I asked people, is there a son's account I should follow? And everyone was like, no, there's not. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> I don't use TikTok enough because I don't like distilling down clips from the podcast for like a minute. And also there was a they were talking about long long form content at TikTok is considered like over 30 seconds. Yeah. And so I'm like, <laughs> all right. Um, but we do have a TikTok at Harvard Knox. So go follow Mike yeah. on TikTok as yeah. well. It's the same at Protected Pick. Um, thank you so much for all of your time. I really appreciate it. This is always a blast. And as you know by now, I will be pestering you again in the future. I'm looking forward to it.